0: and executive coach at Hain Coaching Group. He's a trainer, speaker, innovator, and thought leader. He's been involved in the roofing industry since 1997. His training programs help his roofer clients grow their service departments, both in size and profitability. He's also been an EOS implementer since 2017. Thanks for coming on the show, Greg. Sure. Glad to be here. Yes. So tell me, tell me more about your background. Well, I grew
1: up in the household of a commercial general contractor in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And in the early to mid 1980s, the economy in uh, Toledo was not doing all that well. It was tied a lot to the Detroit auto industry. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to Columbus, which was booming, to open a branch office to do commercial roofing work. And my father who was the president of the construction company said, why, why do you want to do that? I said, well, as general contractors, we have three problems, plumbers, painters, and roofers. (laughs) And because when they don't perform, it slows our jobs down. Or in the case of roofers, we can't get our retainage at the end of a project or whatever. And, and I said, I think if I do a good job, people will beat a path to my door. And he said, go for it. Well, people did not exactly beat a path to my door, but I was, (laughs) I was successful at it, but when the mid-90s rolled around, late, late 90s, I reached a point where I was sick and tired of being responsible for irresponsible people. I was sick and tired of having to decide at four o'clock in the morning what time it was going to rain that afternoon because I wanted to tear off that day. And so consequently, there was stress from, I wasn't having fun and I was having the year I retired from that business, I was having an exceptionally good year. I'd had record profits, I'd had remarkably low stress, and I still wasn't having any fun. Mm. And so, I said to myself, do you really want to do this the rest of your life? I said, no. In about 30 days, I decided to retire and I closed my business. I made sure all my employees had work with other contractors. I made sure all my clients, I hooked them up with roofers that I knew that I thought would be good for them, paid all my bills and closed my business. And I had no intention of becoming a roof consultant, but I eventually did. I had a very good client stop me in the hardware store one day. And he he said, Hey, Greg, when are you going to start doing those surveys for us again? And I said to him, Charlie, I'm really not interested in doing those surveys anymore. And he poked me in the chest He's a very nice guy. He didn't do this in a malicious way, but he poked me in his chest with his finger. He said, no, I, you don't understand. I want you doing that. And when I retired, I, I didn't plan to not work ever again, but I didn't know what I was going to do. But I went home and told my wife, I said, when they get in front of you in the hardware store and start poking in the chest, maybe you ought to pay attention to that. And So, yeah. so I became consultant and I have been a roof consultant since the mid-90s, over 20 years now and And I got back all the clients I had mm. where it made sense for me to be their consultant, and I got to do everything about what I was doing that I love, which was helping people solve problems, but I didn't have to worry about who was going to not show up, who was going to be in jail and what time it was going to rain that day. <laughs> so so that worked out that worked out well. and so now I'm working with contractors, and one of the things that I discovered is that To put a new roof on a building takes maybe two weeks or two months or whatever, but then we're going to live with it for 20 years. So I spent a lot more time in my role as roof consultant working with the service departments of roofing contractors than working with their production departments. And what I discovered about most commercial roofing contractor service departments are they are horrible. They are just terrible. and except there are some that are absolutely outstanding. And it made my life so much easier when I could work with one of them because with most contractors, you call them on the phone and they don't return your phone calls. Mm. Or they, or you ask them a question, they say, I don't know, but I'll find out and they don't get back to you. It's ridiculous. But then there's these other contractors that they do all the things that you would expect a normal business to do properly and they do it well. And I became dissatisfied and I said why why is this guy so good and this guy down the street that's got an equally good reputation in the market but they're just terrible (laughs) and so I started interviewing these people and because I'm not a threat to them and I know all these people they would they would tell me what they were doing and so I started by interviewing the contractors that were really good and getting their best practices and Then I started interviewing the contractors that weren't so good. And I discovered that the people that were really good had some common beliefs and the people that were not so good also had some common beliefs and those were different. Mm. So I walked into a contractor's office one day and we were chatting. I said, you should try this in your service department. I gave him something to do. And I was back there three months later. He said, hey, that really worked. You have anything else? So I gave him another idea. And he tried that. And three months later, he said, you need to come in and train us because everything you've told us to do works. I said, man, I am not a trainer. I'm a roof consultant. He said, no, you're going to do this. (laughs) So I went in and trained them. And at the time I trained them, they had two service, two full-time service bands. Two years later, they had six. Mm. The revenue per truck, they think went up about 40%. So they were delighted. He said, "You need to be selling this." Mm-hmm. So I eventually built a training program, which is called Creating Great Service, which I market to contractors. So that's kind of the history of of how I got to where I am. And then, as a result of the work that I've done with contractors, two other things have occurred. I became well. This is I, be, I became a coach because a lot of times I don't know the answers and I need to draw the answers out. So that's what coaching does, and. And then I said to myself, oh, wait a minute, I have become this clearinghouse for best practices. And When somebody doesn't have an answer, they call me. I said, why don't I just get all these people together in a room? So I started facilitating peer groups. And I now have peer groups that I run for commercial roofing contractors, where we bring non-competing contractors together from around the country. And... Two three times a year, and we we sit down and we spend a day and a half working on our business. And then also in the process of all this, I became an EOS implementer because I know some people that have done EOS and it's helped them, and I wanted to help the contractors, and so I became an EOS implementer. So that's kind of my thing. <laughs> you ask one question, you got a long answer. Oh
0: yeah, I got a few a few things to pick apart. Yeah, we we use EOS. We know we had uh, Mike Payton on the show, so we love EOS. Yes. So, okay. So when you first sort of got to a point where you said, maybe I'm not having fun or I'm not having fun, was it easy for you? Because you said the business was profitable. Was it easy for you to walk away from a profitable business? Uh, That's a really good question. So it got to a point where it was easy.
1: So Mm -hmm. as a contractor, I've had every problem a contractor can have, I've had (laughs) our, my own version. And when I talk with, you know, I've got, 20-some contractors in peer groups and I listen to their problems and and I relate to all of them and they know I do. So when I was struggling as a contractor, I was making money. I always made money. But as I was struggling, my wife would say to me, Greg, you need to quit. And I said, look, the time to quit is not when you're at the bottom of the bucket and everybody's dumping manure on you. (laughs) It's when you're on top of the hill and you can see clearly. And I remember a day when I was, I, I, I remember right where I was standing, this customer uh, what is still a customer of mine. I was on one of his roofs in Columbus, Ohio. It was just a great day. It was sunny. I had had record profits for the year in July. And I said to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. And because I had clarity, I said, I quit and i literally closed the business as i shared in about 30 days so there was a period where there was struggle involved in what i was going to do and i did not know what i was going to do i had accumulated enough money i didn't have to work the next day and i thought about going to back to school to get a degree in counseling so i could help people my spiritual life has always been important to me and so my my metaphor is that i get these Orders that I'm supposed to do something and I don't want to do them. I mean, I it. but but once and so the metaphor is I'm asked to go out on the end of a limb, turn around and saw it off. That's the metaphor. And boy, there's a lot of kicking and screaming as I'm going up the tree and out on the limb. But once I have gotten clear that this is what I'm supposed to do, then I Really become fearless, and I turn around, and I fear goes away. I just saw off the limb, and away we go on the ride. And <laughs> every time I've done that, things have gotten better. Very cool.
0: Now you you mentioned you interviewed these people that are doing great stuff. What are some of the things that you sort of pulled out of them through these interviews?
1: <laughs> well, the the first best practice, and yeah. it remains for me the keystone best practice for the service department for commercial roofers is how long does it take for you to get your repair invoices out after you do a repair and when i started working with that one contractor they were doing their invoicing once a month and that's just absurd <laughs> so the the analogy that i use is okay you walk into the grocery store without an appointment you get to go through there with two big shopping carts or a little handbasket, basket, and you get to take whatever you want and put it in there. And you walk up and put the food on a belt, and some <laughs> pimply-faced kid who has not graduated from high school yet instantly gives you an itemized invoice. How long does it take you, Mr. Ruffer, to get your invoice? Well, it's not the same. Well, it is to your customer. And to extend the metaphor, just imagine what it would be like if when you went to the grocery store, they gave you a claim check and said, come back in three hours and we'll have this added up for you. Just only three hours. And because every grocery store and every convenience store is the same way, this is norm. And and so what you do is you take the claim check and you go down to the local Starbucks and you sit there and you read the newspaper or you get your laptop out. You do a little until your three hours is up and then you go back and stand the line again. You give them the thing. They give you. You give them the money and, and they go get your food and they give it to you. And would that be okay? And people are going, well, heck no, that wouldn't be okay. And I say, can you imagine what would happen when the first grocery store in that environment started handing out itemized invoices? And they go, oh, I said, that's what's going to happen to you when you do that. Because I had a contractor that they would, we would send them out and the next day they would do the repair and the day after that we'd have the invoice and we knew what was going on. We understood what would happen. We knew what the next steps were. We never had to call them on the phone. They gave us all the information we needed and it was just so nice. But the problem is, but think about the grocery store that gives you the claim check. Okay. Understand they give you the claim check. Then they got to take your ice cream and put it in a freezer, your beer, put it in the cooler. Dry goods, put it in a box, label all that stuff while they add it all up. And that's what most roofing contractors' offices look like when they prepare invoices. So my role as a trainer was to help them, first of all, understand the importance of doing that. Secondly, help them understand how they needed to navigate the change from where they were to where they needed to be in order to get that done. So that, But to answer your question, Tots, that was the first best practice, and it still is. (laughs) I just did some, I just did a a LinkedIn video post just last week and I made a case for why this is important. So it still is the litmus test for how good a service department is. Mm. And those people that are getting their invoices out next business day invariably are doing everything else
0: well. Mm. So you're, you're part of, you have different peer groups. Yeah. So you hear a lot of challenges that these contractors and roofers have. What sort of common themes come out in these, these groups? So do you want their common theme or do you want my common theme? I'll get. I'll take your common
1: theme. My common theme is that all these, first of all, we curate the people that we allow in the groups. We just don't let anybody in. First, we want to make sure there's, there's no competition. So the different geographic areas, we want to make sure they're similarly sized, but we also want to make sure that they're good human beings. Because if you take somebody that, When you take a room full of people where everybody in there has high integrity and you bring somebody in there that doesn't, it will stand out right away and it will become a problem and it will ruin the group. So we curate the membership. So we're starting with the premise that everybody in these groups is a good quality human being. So from my perspective, what I see is that most of them have never trained to be leaders. They have grown up in the roofing business And they are roofers. And many of these people are very successful, but they've really never been trained to be leaders. And of course, EOS doesn't train you to be a leader, but it puts in place pieces, as you know, that can help leadership grow and give them a guideline for how to lead. So they've not been trained to be leaders. Most of them struggle with delegation. They they like solving problems. And so when someone comes to them with a problem, their instinct is to want to solve it. But the dysfunction that this builds is that everything has to run through that individual. And that individual, the boss in this case, kind of becomes grand central station for all the decision making processes that go on. And that really holds the organization back when that contractor reaches a point in his evolution as a business person that he can't do anymore. And some are better at delegating than others. But eventually, the number one thing that holds a company back is the boss.
0: Now circling back to they've never been trained as a leader. Well, how do you approach training them as a leader? Well, that's an interesting question. Because you brought them in, you're trying to help them along the path. I mean, one option is they're not a leader and they're out, but like some people, yeah, maybe they have the capacity to step up. How do you approach that? So
1: there are people in these groups that want to grow. So there's two reasons. There's two reasons people don't grow. Either they don't know how, or they don't want to make the effort. Mm. When you get when you get past all the noise, either they don't know how, or they don't want to make the effort. My My feeling is, in these groups as the facilitator, it's not my job to push people to do something they don't want to do. Mm. So what happens in the group is there's people sitting there and, for instance, I have a peer group where I put them in the group because they wanted me to come train them. I said, no, you don't have enough trucks, I'm not gonna come train you (laughs) because the training won't work unless you have more trucks. So why don't you join the group and then I can coach you in the context of the group. So we had three contractors we put in, and I believe that when we started, each of them had two trucks. Mm. Two years later, one of them has seven trucks. One of them has four trucks. One of them still has two trucks. Now, the person that has not grown their service department at all is sitting there, and they are now starting to feel the pressure. Because everybody else is growing and they're not. And mm. so now I don't have to say anything. The mirror comes up in front <laughs> of them and they got to look in the mirror. If they come to me and they say, we want you to help us with this. Then I will engage them. Okay, so you might want to consider using EOS. And, and again, then I tailored my response to because I know these people. It's not like I've spent 20 minutes with them. I spend weeks with them in these meetings off and on. I know all of them well. And so I'll, I'll sometimes I'll coach them a little bit. I will tell them where I think their weaknesses are and what they need to improve. But I don't push, because I'm very good at pushing. <laughs> and I don't want to push people away. So, but then they also have the group. They'll ask the group, how do I do this? And the group will give them the feedback and and then some take the, take the invitations that they receive and move forward. And some of them are still struggling with that. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is the people that have taken the invitations that have gotten better, everybody reaches a ceiling. Yeah. We all You're going to grow and then you hit a ceiling. And as you know from EOS, if you've talked to Mike Payton, you get to a certain point and you get stuck. And then one of three things happen. Either you stay there or you go down <laughs> or you go up. And
0: most people stay or go down. So how have you sort of broken through some of your ceilings? Like what were the things that kind of holding you back at different phases?
1: Well, as a roofing contractor, it was my, I was a perfectionist and it was my inability to delegate. And so I, I mean, that absolutely held me back. And we do um, disc assessments on many of the people that we work with. And of course I've done them and I have a, a, a battery of them that I've done, but, but on one of them is, a series of developmental skills. And my teamwork score is a perfect zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Zero. That's not good. Because okay, we want to a <laughs> hundred is as good as you can get Zero is as bad as you can get. Just so we're clear on that. Yeah. So I'm 67 years old. I have one part-time employee. And what I have done is I've understood that that's a weakness and I build a business that doesn't rely on me to have a bunch of, I play to my strengths.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but a limiting factor for me was my, in a, as a roofing contractor, was my inability to delegate. As a consultant, it's much more of a one man band kind of a thing. And I had a concierge type practice. I have a concierge type practice where they get a lot of personal attention from me and they compensate me for that. And I'm okay with that. I now have an assistant and she's part time and she's absolutely outstanding. But that, that's my, one of my big weaknesses. But one of my other weaknesses is I do not have a lot of diplomacy intact. <laughs> but I've turned that into, talk about taking lemons and turning into lemonade. I've done that because these contractors that I work with tell me, we have a whole building full of people that spend all their time telling us what they think we want to hear. and Greg, you don't do that. (laughs) And sometimes we don't like what we hear, but we know that you mean it, and we know that you're giving us your best shot, and we also know, even if we don't like it, that you have our best interest at heart. So, uh, there's another example where I've taken a weakness, and I've played it into, I wouldn't call it a strength, but when someone comes to me and they ask me a direct question about what I think, they're going to get a direct answer if I can give them a direct answer. I'm not going to weasel.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things I sort of ran across, I think one of your videos or articles, you talked about, I think it's cost recovery. Recovery was a big recovery. theme. Oh, yeah. I love recovery. Yes. Yeah. So this is a great, do you want me to talk about recovery? Absolutely. Okay,
1: so so this is a great example. So let me let's back up a step. Sure. Roofing contractors have no clue what knowledgeable building owners want and need. They think that when they go out and fix a roof, it's about fixing the roof. That's just the start of it. It's about the communication afterward that's important. Because as we've already talked about invoice, and by the way, I haven't forgot recovery, but... (laughs) But let me, let me circle back. Sure, sure. The reason, the reason invoices need to be in somebody's hand next business day is because it lets them know what happened. It is not just a request for payment. It is a communication document for the building owner. All right. So a knowledgeable property owner has all sorts of considerations that they have to deal with. And, for instance, if you own shopping centers – on a typical shopping center the mechanical equipment on the roof is the responsibility of the tenant to maintain so when a roofer goes up so the tenant calls in a roof leak and so they we send we send the roofer out and he goes up on the roof and he discovers that the hvac unit is frozen up like a popsicle <laughs> because it's lost its coolant and it's and the condensate pan is overflowing and the water's dumping into the tenant space this is not a roof leak This leak has been caused by the HVAC equipment, which is the responsibility of the tenant. So what a knowledgeable building owner will do is they will take the invoice from the roofer for $650 and they will turn around and they'll send it to the tenant and say, hey, we were up there because of your thing, not our thing. You pay this and they will recover what they paid the roofer. That's recovery. So often what happens is when the HVAC guy goes up on the roof and he takes the door off to do the filter, he sets the thing down and he punches a hole in the roof and makes a leak. So it is a roof leak. But because he has made this puncture right next to the unit, we know how it got there. So when the roofer goes out and he takes proper pictures of what he has done, he takes a picture that shows not a hole in a roof with a patch but he takes a picture of the hole in the roof and it shows you how far that hole is from the unit, verifying how it got there. He's then equipping the owner to also send that bill for $650 to the tenant and saying, your guy did this. It's our roof, but you made the hole and recover. So roofers need to document their repairs properly so that a knowledgeable owner can look at it and go, Oh, this is recoverable. (laughs) And this is big money. I have a client back in 2017, they were on track the last time I talked to them, they were on track to recover $100,000. That's real money. I don't care how big you are. And most roofers documentation is so pathetic that you can't, you can't look at the invoice and tell. And then if you have to call them up and they don't An owner doesn't have time to call them and ask. And if they do ask, they don't know. I don't know. I'll find out. And they never find out. So recovery is about, uh, for a roofer, if you do your documentation right, it equips your owner to recover your fees. And everybody can do recovery. Joe's bowling alley can do recovery. If his HVAC guy is out there servicing and punches a hole in the roof, if the roofer gets the invoice to him quickly, then before he's paid that HVAC guy, he has proof what the problem was. If it takes him a month to get the invoice there, he's long ago paid that HVAC guy. He can't recover that. So recovery is potentially huge for a knowledgeable building owner. Nice.
0: Now, I know there's another theme that I, I noticed a lot is selling on value, not on price. It's, I might be opening a big can here, but tell me about that.
1: If you are having a, in the service business, Now, now I'm not talking about the production side, but on the service side. If you are having a conversation with a building owner about your price and you have worked with them before, your service isn't very good. Because when your service is truly good and you are head and shoulders above your competition, which doesn't take much, they don't care what the price is. They really don't. When we have trained contractors in the past, we would go in and do a pre-training assessment with using a SurveyMonkey. And we would ask everybody to categorize, to respond to a whole series of categories about how good are you on a scale of one to 10. And then when I would go in to train, I'd show them the results and the best score. First of all, the only people that ask me to train them are already good contractors, okay? The best score I have seen for any contractor on a scale of one to 10 is a four and a half. And so I would stand up in front of them and say, okay, you guys have rated yourselves as a four and a half on a scale of one to 10. So let's understand this is not me telling you you're not very good. This is you telling us you're not very good. (laughs) The good news is there is a tremendous amount of room for improvement. And it's really not that hard to get that improvement if you just put your attention on it. So, To get better is not that hard. You just have to put your attention on it. Mm. Do you suggest any methods to measuring it? Oh, there's a very simple measure. And it's very reliable. (laughs) Okay, it's revenue per truck. Mm. When you are doing a great job at service, people, a great example. I have a contractor that I started working with in Florida many years ago. Mm -hmm. I inherited him. So, I have a client. They bought this property. I inherited this guy, and this guy was good. I only had the one property with that client, but I had another client. And I quickly, over the period of about 18 months, moved him over to start to work with that other client. That client eventually had 35 shopping centers in Florida. And this particular contractor, was the contractor of choice for probably 20 of them. He he was somewhat geographically limited. He was probably doing in excess of a quarter million dollars worth of service work for us a year because he was so good. So if you're really good at service, your revenue per truck will grow. Yeah, what's a good revenue
0: uh, per truck number?
1: So that's a great question. And it depends upon how much you charge, because in some parts of the country, somebody may be charging $50 an hour for each man in a two-man crew, and somebody else may be charging $100 an hour for each man in a two-man crew. So I have a formula, and the formula is you take the rate you charge for each man in a two-man crew, not what you pay, what you charge, and you multiply that number by 3600 so if you got two men and you're charging them seventy five, you're charging seventy five dollars for each man. You take seventy five dollars times thirty six hundred. That's, oops, thirty six hundred times seventy five is two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. That is pretty normal. If you're doing that, you're a typical roofing contractor. If you're not doing that, you're not very good. <laughs> I would expect performer based upon that same rate. To be doing $400,000 per truck. And the people that are truly outstanding will be doing $550,000 or more per truck. I know a contractor last year with 18 trucks, and in October, he was on track to do $600,000 with a truck based upon that $75 an hour rate. Wow. And the thing is, once you've gotten that, after that, you get to that $270,000 of sales, the rest of that sales, Your costs don't change. It's just added revenue that drops right to the bottom line. So you take your hourly rate, and if you really want to know what you ought to aim at, it's your hourly rate for one man in a two-man crew times 5,400 to get you. Then you're pretty good if you can do that. But there are people that are better.
0: Awesome. That's great. If you weren't in the uh, roofing industry, what would you you be doing? Wow. So I view the work that I do in
1: the roofing industry as a vehicle for helping people grow their businesses. So I think that I would be looking for some other way to help people grow their businesses.
0: Makes sense. So you're—I know a lot of the guests actually—they—they they recommended you to to come on the show. So you're <laughs> a busy. You're a busy, busy guy. I am. Uh, <laughs> what are your top? Three habits or routines for success. Ah,
1: so the first habit and routine for success is daily meditation,
0: Mm.
1: quieting the mind. So that is a spiritual practice for me. And I find that day in, day out, nothing much happens. But over time, clarity happens. It's a spiritual practice. Divine grace enters into the process. We have really not talked fully about the journey. How many times I have walked out on the end of a limb and cut it off. We've not talked about that. All of the times I've done that. But what I see is there's divine inspiration in it. So number one is quiet time. And most roofers don't want to do that. In EOS, we talk about clarity breaks. You take a pad, you go down to the coffee shop, and you're right. And you get clarity. And most of them fight tooth and nail to do that. And it's a mistake. So, number one would be getting quiet. Number two is I think it's really important to have a daily routine. Number three is exercise. I am a bicycle rider. And if I'm not riding outside, I'm riding inside almost every day. But what you only ask for three. The, there's a fourth, there's a sure. fourth, and and that is you have to feed the mind. To borrow from Zig Ziglar, you got to put in the good, the clean, the pure, the powerful, and the positive. And that comes through reading. It comes from having engaging conversations with people. So th-
0: there would be those four. Perfect. And is there anything I should have asked you but didn't?
1: Well, you know, I came into this, tots kind of with a blank slate 20 years ago I would have been thinking about what I needed to say or and I just decided I don't do that anymore I just kind of go with it so I really didn't know what I was getting into with this conversation I'm and I've enjoyed it by the way and I'm glad we've had it the question you haven't asked me is this if Mm -hmm. so we're in the middle of the coronavirus mess yeah and we are still ramping up into it we're in early April and we don't know where this is headed and so a question you might ask me is, if I had one piece of advice to give to people out there, what would it be? And the advice would be, do not give in to the fear and anxiety that you're experiencing. The fear and anxiety that you're experiencing is normal and it's healthy. It's okay to not to be concerned about what's going to happen. but to to lose the regiment, to lose the self-discipline, to freak out, that doesn't work. So don't give in to the fear.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Greg, I learned a lot and thank you so much for coming on the show. Glad to do it. It was fun. Thank you. I wanna thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also wanna to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.